Welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashaves Hanan. Uh, we continue with the book of Devarim in which Moses is the one, is the biography of Moses and his autobiography in which he's uh, rebuking the Jewish people and he's reminding them of their divine mission in the world when, before they enter the land of Israel, before he passes away. And in Parashaves Hanan, there is a verse that states, you shall know today and return unto your hearts. And this verse, this Pasuk, embodies the core of Judaism. It really tells everything about what a Jew really is, which is his belief in God. And it examines the difference between the belief versus the objective reality, the blind faith versus the deductive reason and an intellectual stimulation. So this mammar from uh, the Alter Rebbe is gonna explain to us what is expected of us, what, what is this verse saying? Uh, it tells us about the mitzvah of, to believe in God. It's a mitzvah, it's a commandment. We're commanded to believe in God. This is something strange, like how can you oblige a person to believe in God? And it's also talking about the mitzvah to know God. And these are two complete different mitzvot, one to believe and the other one to know Hashem, to know his directives, to know what he wants from us. How can we know God? The only way we can get to know God is through his Torah, because the Torah is really his wisdom, is his will, is what he wants from the world, what he's expecting from us. So the Alter Rebbe Shnir Salman of Yadi, in the introduction to his, uh, to his book, Shar Hayihud Vaemuna, states that a Jew must have pure faith of God, uh, a pure faith in God's unity. This is what the, what the verse is saying. Uh, it's more in this parasha. We also read the Shema Israel, Shema Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Ehad. Uh, Shema Israel, listen, Israel. The, the, the infinite God, Adnai, is the same Elokeinu, which is the same God that is imbued, that is hiding in nature. Hashem Ehad is one, it's the same one. So not only should we not question God's existence, this is ridiculous, he's saying, the Alter Rebbe here is saying that it's, that it's impossible to question God's ex existence if we contemplate the world and we see how there's um, divinity in everything in the world, there's a trademark, we can see that there's, there's, a, there's a designer behind the world. So we should never question God's existence. This is something that is obvious for someone that is discerning and, 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 and it's uh, sensitive to his surroundings, but it, should be faith of, but it should be faith of purity. So what it's saying is that we should not have blind faith. What the Torah is teaching us here is that we're, we're, we should not be these like sheep that go with a herd, and, and we do what the, what the, what the shepherd says. We, the Jew should question, the Jew should learn, the Jew should look at the books and learn and what does God want from me and ask himself, why am I here? What's my whole purpose in this world? What's the purpose of creation? Why did God made a world? We should go and learn about these things. 
but what the Alter Rebbe means is that in regards of matter of faith that can be intellectually understood, one must and is obliged to strive to comprehend them. So whatever is there for us to know, the knowledge that is accessible to us, and today I tell you my friends, it's so easy to learn Torah. Like 20 years ago, I would have never been able to give you these classes because I don't speak Hebrew and the texts were mostly in Hebrew and, um, and um, for a person like me, it would have been impossible to learn Torah 20 years ago. But today, you don't only have Habat.org, Keshach Torah, you have Torah Anytime, you have so many websites that give you shiurim all day, they're teaching you everything you wanna know, YouTube videos, you have tons and tons of books that, uh, that you can, buy and learn from. Everything is translated today, like the Humash is translated, the Talmud is translated in, in every language. So even people from, um, from Korea, South Korea are learning uh, Torah. Like they, they, they realize like there's something to learn here. So we are obliged to, to learn about God, to, to, to get to know God, not only to believe in God, but to know Hashem. And Judaism believes in this. This is one of our, of our, of our tenets of faith. Hasidic thought emphasizes that Judaism promotes the aggressive pondering of the human mind to conclude that God exists and not leave this matter to faith. So to, to, to know that God exists, it's something that we are commanded, it's a mitzvah to learn about God. It's a mitzvah to learn Torah. It's, it's Torah is, uh, all mitzvot are in learning Torah. So this in return will take us to contemplate this new acquired knowledge to the point in which it is internalized into our very being. So, you know, we have the three intellectual um, sefirot, uh, attributes which are chokma bina dat, chokma is wisdom, uh, bina is understanding, and das is knowledge. So first you have a spark, you have a, a lighting flash of, of information, then you have to come to understand this information and then it becomes knowledge, and knowledge is power. Why? Because it becomes you. It becomes you. Once you have this knowledge, it's part of you. So why does the verse state you shall know today? It says, you shall know today and return unto your hearts. Why does it say you shall know today? The mitzvah of Shema can give us some understanding of this. The first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people after Matan Torah, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, was to say the Shema Israel. What still remains to be understood is why the verse mentions the mitzvah at the end of the verses discussing the Jewish people entering the land of Israel. So we know at Matan Torah, uh, in, the, in, the, in the parasha of Yitro, in which the, the Torah is given to the Jewish people, this is in the book of Exodus, uh, we are given this means of the Shema. Now it's repeated like before the Jewish people are ready to enter the land of Israel, again they have to say the Shema. So why do we have to say the Shema right before entering the land of Israel? So he says here, the Alter Rebbe, that the mitzvah of Shema is an obligation that is subject to the person's body and not just the land of Israel, which is a location. So one thing is the person and another thing is the, is the real estate. So to be able to understand and all these, we must first discern the difference between das, which is knowledge, 
knowledge of God and the belief of God, emuna of God. So knowledge does of God and emunah in God, faith, are listed as two separate commandments in the Torah. These are two different mitzvot. One mitzvah is at the verse states, know the God of your father. It's telling you, get to know the God of your father. Don't be such a simpleton, like have some intellect, put your brain to work. We are commanded to know and try to do the best of our knowledge because each person has different intellectual capacities. So we're not required to know as much as um, Rabbi Akiva, for example, or, or our sages, because they have different intellectual capacities and different uh, strengths in their brain to learn Torah. Some people can sit more than five minutes and it's very hard for them. But what it's telling us is, is that we are obliged to learn Torah. If it's auditory, if it's visual, whatever way it's gonna come into you, you should take um, what is given to you and you should really make an effort to learn because it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment. And another verse states, and you shall believe in God. So it's a paradox. One is telling you that you have to know God. The other one is that you're obliged to believe in God. So, so it says here, this mitzvah commands us to believe in God above and beyond one's intellectual capacity. So it's saying, even if you can know Aleph, you have to believe in God. Even if you can know Aleph to Bet, you have to believe in God. It doesn't matter how much you can know, you have to believe in God. And we might ask ourselves, what are we commanded to believe and what are we commanded to know? So if one knows, why call it faith? If you have knowledge, why would you call faith believing in God? If you know that the Torah, if you're learning the Torah and you know the wisdom of Hashem, how can one not go with the other? How can they be separate? So, and if he believes, then he doesn't need to know. If you believe in Hashem, why do you need to know? So to believe that there is a greater power that enlivens everything and creates the world from nothing is not a matter of belief or blind faith at all. We really don't need faith, we don't need emunah to come to this conclusion. So the world is proof that there exists a God. The, the, the whole world is a testimony to Hashem's existence. Once I was sitting with a girl I was trying to teach her Torah, and this girl came from a very liberal-minded school in which they, tell the, they teach them the theory of evolution, but they don't teach them the theory of evolution as a theory, they teach it as a truth. Like, this is the way the world was made. This is the Big Bang, and there was a huge explosion, and so this world came to be. And this is what they teach kids today in non-religious non schools. It can be Jewish or not Jewish. They teach kids that there's no God and that the world just made itself. Like there was an explosion and look, this happened. And there's flowers and there's trees and there's, there's people and there's animals and there's vegetation and there's minerals and there's constellations and the sun and the moon and we have the oceans. An explosion. This is the most stupid way of thinking ever. Because the only, if there's a creation, there has to be a creator. Like you cannot write a book with a, with, a, with, a, with a pen that exploded and the ink went on the paper and it suddenly uh, wrote a, um, a Nobel Prize uh, novel. 
you would not believe that. If the Nobel Prize of this year, they say, no, this book made itself, people would laugh. They would say, this is ridiculous. So if it's so hard to believe that a book was made by itself because a pen exploded and the ink went into the paper and it wrote a book, uh, a, a Nobel Prize book, then why is it so hard for people to believe that there's a higher being that created the world? and that he's the designer of this world. It doesn't make sense. So the, the, what it says here, we really don't need Emuna to come to this conclusion. We don't need faith to believe in God. We don't need to have faith to believe that God created the world. The world is proof that there, is, there exists God. Just as a person feels that he exists even without seeing his soul, like we don't see our soul, but we know we have an eshama. We know we have something more. We're not just flesh and bones. We have something more inside of us. There's a part of us that is loftier than the body. So too does the world scream its in testimony of the life force within it, which vivifies it and causes it to function. And this is explained in the verse, from my flesh I see God, which is uh, from Tehillim. So in general, there are various proofs from the world that testify to God's existence. One is we see life in the world. The world is alive. You see dogs, you see cats, you see birds, they're alive. The birds are flying. You see the rats running in the New York streets. They're alive, they're not static. You see that there's, there's life in the world. You see that there's day and there's night and there's, and there's the wind blows and one day it's raining and one day it's sunny and you see the oceans uh, tide go up and the ocean tide go down and you see that the plants, you plant some seeds and then you, you see them grow. Like here, when I moved to New York, I was amazed, amazed. Like I had never lived in, in seasons. I, I had never experienced this. And that for six months, there's nothing, not one green leaf anywhere to be seen. You feel like everything's dead. And then one day, out of nowhere, you wake up and the, the Broadway, Broadway is full of beautiful tulips of all colors from one day to the next and cherry blossoms. And you say, where did they come from? So we see this, how does this happen? How can this be a reality? So who is moving the world? Who is moving the sun? Who is making the, the, the plants grow? Who is making you walk and, and be alive? So this is one of the general uh, proofs. The second one is that there's a designer trademark. Like if, if you see a dress uh, by Oscar de la Renta, you know it's an Oscar de la Renta because it has a very specific trademark or you see a Versace outfit or you see Gap or you see whatever you see, you see like today shoes, you see who, who, what shoes they are because they have a specific trademark. You know that this little sign means it's this uh, brand. So there is a designer behind everything and the complexity of the universe as a whole and each individual creature in particular testified that there must be a designer as it could not have happened on its own just as a book, as I said before, cannot be written with a spilled ink. So the existence, this is the third one, the existence of time proves a being before time. So also in this realm where we live, there's something called time and there's something called space. So this space and times are also creations. 
of God. This is something that has been created. And we witness the passage of time, like I'm 50 years old, I'm feeling it in my body. People tell me, you don't look 50, but I feel it. I feel time has passed through my life. I'm not that was when I was 20 years old. And I can feel it when I carry my grandchildren and suddenly my back hurts. You know, I can feel my age. I can feel time flying by. I look at my kids and I say, when did they grow up? I can't believe it. Yesterday they were little. Yesterday I was, when did this happen? So time is something that is part of our life. It's part of our existence. And, um, and, we, and we can see it. We all have a watch. We can all count the minutes. It's something real. And uh, and time, by definition, must have, be, have a beginning, and uh, otherwise there would never be a present. Like, you know, there has to be a beginning. Like, the day starts at 1 a.m. in the morning. That's the, the, the moment that it starts, the new day. In the, in the secular calendar, in the Jewish calendar, it starts with the, with the uh, Allahic time and uh, of, a, of a, when the three stars, uh, are, we can see them in the sky and then we know a new day started, right? So the time is, uh, is something that has a beginning. And then that's how you know there's, a, uh, there's the past, there's the present and there's the future. If not, you wouldn't have this. You would live in a linear, linear world. So this raises the question of who created time and in essence, who created the universe, which is a physical space, which is bound to time. So the universe is bound to time. If not, listen to the scientists that the world is, I don't know how many billions years old, and then you go and you see a dinosaur they found, the bones of a dinosaur that is uh, two, three trillion years old. So there's a concept of time. And, and we see here that the, that have, that, and that must have been created either, either together with time or after time. So, but not before time, for there can be a space without time. So the space was created either after time was created or at the same time of, at the same time as time, because then space wouldn't be able to survive if it was not confined in, in within time. So we see in the book of Bereshit of creation uh, that Hashem on the first day he created the light, on the second day he created the firmaments. So we see that there's a first day, there's a second day, there's time. So before, once Hashem is creating the space, once Hashem is creating the world, there's already an existence of time. So this force forces a, a, a conclusion of the existence of a being that created the universe. Since this being created time, he cannot be bound to time. So Hashem is not bound to time, as otherwise he too would have to be created. So if he would have been bounded to time, he also would have had been created. And if he is created, we go back to the original question of who created time. So thus there must be a being that is not bound by time. Hashem is not bound by time. He is not bound by, by space. This is something from this world where we are. So cause and effect is the fourth, uh, the fourth proof of God's existence. Everything has a cause. Everything that happens in the world has a cause. Something happened and because this happened, then this has to happen. There's an effect. 
you take this medicine and you get heartburn. You go to sleep late, the next day you don't feel well. You, 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 you say something nasty to somebody, that person's gonna get upset. Cause and effect. So what, what is that first cause? One cannot say the universe created itself, as that means it was around before it was created. One must thus conclude that something exists that doesn't have a cause. So the only existence that there is that has no cause is Hashem. Because it's not that something happened and Hashem was created. Hashem has been, He is, and He will be. As Maimonides say, there, there's nothing else but God. He will continue to exist if we cease to exist. So, and he existed before we existed. So this being is not, not bound by time. He existed before time and space. We must then conclude that this primary existence is an infinite being. Otherwise, he too would have a cause for he, how else did he become finite? So if, however, the first existence is infinite, then by definition he's not bound by logistics of cause and effect as part of being infinite means that he always existed and will always exist and is and is all able so we cannot comportamentalize hashem we cannot put him in a box when people say I, I can't believe in god because this and this and this and this i tell them that god you believe in i cannot believe in him either because hashem is too big for that you cannot put him in a box. He's infinite. Infinite means that he has no beginning and no end. There's, you cannot put uh, not names to him. You cannot put uh, definitions to him. You cannot put a corporeal look to him because there's none. So when we, when in the Torah it says Hashem extended his hand, really it's allegorically so we can come to comprehend God. It's done in that way so we can uh, connect to him and feel that we can understand. But otherwise this would have not been there because there's no such thing that God has a hand. Like that would limit Hashem. So, or his hand is not like our hand. Our hand is something so we can understand his hand. So, so this brings us to recognize an infinite being, which is by definition causeless, and satisfy the question of how the first existence came about. So these four points in the testimony of human mind to God's existence is not considered faith. This is not a muna, but this is considered knowledge. This is knowledge. This is something that has been studied. This is something that has proof. This is something that we learn. This is knowledge. Knowledge refers to that is so profound and deep that one actually feels it in his emotions. So it can come to stir you up and, and, and make you emotional. It represents applied contemplation and an internalization of a, ma of a matter that make it a constant before one's very eyes and that one's heart never departs from the awareness of it. So the heart, we have to feed our heart. The heart is really the seat of our emotions. This is the seat of our emotions. This is where they, they're, they're sitting. And the, the, the heart has to become sensitive to, to spirituality, to Hashem's world. So the way that we can connect our hearts to the truth of God is by contemplating the world. So that's based commandment of, of you shall know today means that a Jew should contemplate and integrate the reality of God's existence 
on the cognitive level and to allow to always live with that reality so in other words what he what the alter Rebbe is saying here is that one is required to deeply connect his soul with this reality by contemplating contemplating it in a vivid and animated way until he begins to actually experience the reality of his presence before him. So this is called Ashkaha practice, divine intervention. When you start seeing God in everything, for example, I know a couple that were gonna marry a, a child and they had to pay, I don't remember, X amount on the engagement party, it was a lot of money and at that moment for them, it was hard because they didn't have the, the money for that. And suddenly, one day they receive in the mail a check for the exact amount of money they needed to pay the engagement party from the IRS. It was a tax return from five years before. So five years before, this couple had given the, the, the IRS this amount of money extra that they needed to pay. Five years later, the IRS is paying them back. So a person who's a non-believer would say, oh, what a coincidence, amazing, how lucky I am. But a person that knows God, that internalizes God in everything in his life, that he tries to see God everywhere, will say, wow, amazing, look what, how God is, this is unbelievable. Like, Five years ago, we had extra money, we paid extra. Hashem put it away for us for five years. He took care of that money. So the day that we need it, it's in this, in this, in this envelope. It's unbelievable, five years later. So when we start looking at our lives with this lens, with this way of, of looking at the world, then we'll, we're gonna be experiencing Hashem in our lives in every way. So the other day I took my daughter, my granddaughter to buy her a jacket. It was the beginning of springtime and it was still cool and her, and her jacket for the winter was too heavy and I wanted to get her a jacket. So on our way to buy the jacket, she told I, I want a, she called me Tita, I want an ice cream. So I got her an ice cream and we sat in a chair, in a, in a bench in the middle of, of the street and uh, she became a disaster with this ice cream. It melted all over, she had it all over. I didn't know what to do. We're in the middle of the street. I have to go and get her this, this jacket. There's nowhere I can go and wash her hands. I have nothing to clean her with. And suddenly this lady came out of nowhere and she handed me a, 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 like this of, 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 um, of napkins, out of nowhere. She was crossing the street. She saw me and she gave me the napkins. So you can believe, oh wow, what a coincidence, what, how lucky I am. Or you can say like Hashem really is giving me exactly what I need at the moment I need it the most. Thank you Hashem. So this is what the Alter Rebbe is saying. So just as a person can live his whole life not being cognizant of the air he breathes, like we need oxygen to survive, and a person can go 90 years without ever being thoughtful about the oxygen he breathes, but one day, suddenly, his lungs collapse and he's not being able to breathe. That day, he's gonna remember, oh, look, for so many years, I was able to breathe with no problem. Today, I realize what a, what a blessing that is. And he realizes how he needs the, the oxygen. So the same way, with God, we 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 were 100% totally dependent of him but we can go through our whole life without even thinking about god
we can say, oh, that was luck, that I was, I, that's karma, the powers of the universe, amazing, I have a, a lucky star with me, and not recognize Hashem in our lives. Suddenly, sometimes people, they get a, a bang in their lives, and, and that's when they realize they need God. But in reality, if we are, are cognizant of this truth, we're going to be able to see Hashem everywhere and in everything. So God relates to us in two different ways. One is known as Mimaleko Lamim, the divine creative light that fills all the worlds. And this is an indwelling light, an indwelling energy which is contained inside of all creation. This is what vivifies us, and this means that the only testimony we can experience of God in this world is the fact that He gives it life. This is a testimony. We know He gives life to the world. What we lack, however, is the vivid proof of His aspect of sovev kolamim, which is the, which is the surrounding light. So to, ex to explain this better, like you have you have a glass of water. What is inside the glass of water, which is the water, it would be the mimalei kolamim, which is the indwelling light. And the air that's around the water, around this glass of water, would be the sovev kolamim, which is the encompassing light. So the divine light that surrounds all worlds, but both these forces are infinitely removed from, from the being of God. They're merely external revelations of God. They're revelations of God, existence for the sake of creation. He uses this energy to create the world. So what we can understand from here is that we can see the experience of the world undoubtedly testifies to the existence of, of God of a supernal power that enlivens it. There's no question there's a creator because we have proof, we see the creation, there's a creation. So, but we cannot know a lot about the creator. You can know about his creation, but you cannot get to know the creator. There's as much as you can get to know about Hashem. You know what he likes, you know what he doesn't like. He tells you in the Torah, this is for me an abomination, this is something I, I, I love. So we know what he likes and what he doesn't like. We know what he wants from us. He knows, we know why he created the world. We know everything about the creation, but we cannot get to know anything about the creator itself. So this is where we tap into emunah, where we tap into faith. This is where this second mitzvah comes into play. So there is a commandment that obliges us to know Hashem to the best of our, our capacity. And this is done by learning Torah, which is Hashem's will and the fulfillment of, of his mitzvot. And then we must understand that the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. It's the truth. And this is when we must follow the directive of emunah, of belief. So dwell on the land and nurture faith. This at the end of, of, of this parasha. It means that one is required to nurture his faith until it is set in his heart in a way that the knowledge is vividly felt. So through Torah, through mitzvahs, through tefillah, through prayer, one is able to draw down that level of sovev kolamin, what encompasses, and the, the surrounding light into one's very heart. And this is the meaning of Shema Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Ehad. That the level of Hashem that we believe in 
Hashem Ehad will be drawn below into Ehad One. So the infinite God, the Yud Kevav K, the, the God that we cannot come to understand, is the same God that is 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 in nature, that is in His creation. It's one, and which are the boundaries of the world, the seven heavens and and and, and the one earth. This is when we do Ehad Ehad. We elongate the D. We're bringing down that energy, the Sofev Kolamim, into our heart, which is, which is the testimony of creation of the world and that God fills all the world, but rather it's to put the knowledge in our hearts and internalize it to the point that it becomes one with us. So I would like to suggest that you take the time every day. I know a lot of you are into meditation and all this mindfulness and that. Take that moment of your life and ponder on God's existence. Concentrate on one of his creations and look how magnificent it is. Think about it for a few minutes every day and see how little by little your, your service of God and your faith in him will become one with you. So I wanna wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.